Our good friends at Johnio welcome you to this episode. Now, the iconic Johnio clothing brand logo of the surfer and his longboard first caught my eye several years ago, but it's the signature Johnio style where West Coast meets East Coast prep that truly changed the game for me, and I've been wearing Johnio ever since. And now our listeners can use promo code RICHTAKE at checkout for 20% off your first order at johnny-o.com. That's 20% off the regular price. Price at johnny-o.com. Use the promo code RICHTAKE at checkout for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted built and inspired by the role of sports in their lives here's your host this is episode 128 thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen we all know that life moves at the speed of light and changes in our lives happen in the blink of an eye But Alex Weaver tries each day to live in the moment, embracing the here and now. She would embark on her sportscasting career at Clemson as a student recruiting assistant for the football team, also working as a student reporter for ESPNU before graduating and accepting a position with Raycom Media as a multimedia reporter. In 2017, Alex would trade in footballs and baseballs for the oval tracks and 200 mile per hour speeds of NASCAR, where she now serves as a host, reporter, and senior coordinator of video strategy. Here's episode 128 with Alex Weaver. Alex, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate you letting me harass you and no, steal some you of your time, right? Thank you for having me. I'm excited. No, I love it. We've got the backdrop of NASCAR Hall of Fame yeah. right behind us here yeah. in Charlotte. And Obviously, that's near and dear to your heart. It is. Can't believe that I'm saying that, but it is. From a perspective, though, your name, Alex Weaver, mm-hmm. which is crazy. I've got a son. His name is Alex. I know. We have a good last name. <laughs> yes, that's right. We definitely do. <laughs> oh, and he, is he Alexander? No, he's just Alex. Oh, we I like it. just went straight with Alex because I go by Richmond, but my first name is Robert. Okay. So it's Robert Richmond Weaver. Okay, and, I like it. Which is even crazier is that... My birth name was Robert Richmond Richardson III. Oh, wow. Yeah, crazy. We liked the R's. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but going by my middle name my whole life, and everybody, a lot of people knows me by Richie mm-hmm. as well. And so when my wife and I, when we were having kids, it was like, all right, our kids are going to be named their first name. Yeah. So there's no confusion. <laughs> and it's just going to be nice, simple. You don't have to worry about yeah. Richmond. Is it Rich? Is it Richie? Or Rob? Is it you know Bob? Whatever. So Alex is his first name. Okay. Now for you then. I am Jordan Alexis Weaver. Um, So I don't know if my mom was thinking. She knew that she liked the name Alexis. Um, I think her and my dad both collaborated on Jordan, but my initials are Jaw. So I got that throughout my whole entire life, like the ba-da, like the theme song of Jaw was my whole life. Um, But then I go by Alex, which is a nickname of my middle name. So the confusion, like classes and professors and teachers, it's always like Jordan Weaver, and you get to a point where you're like, call me Alex, and then they're like, well, where's the Alex? Alex is my middle name, but I go by Alex, and it's like, what? Just call me Jordan. I know. And now you have I to just go by everything. Yeah, everything. So now I just go by Weaver, Weaver, and 
That's the easiest. I was going to do. ask you if you had people call you Weave because that's, that's all that that's they call all me. that happens with me too. <laughs> if up. somebody calls me Alex or Jordan or Alexis, I'm like, oh man, I'm in trouble. This means this is not <laughs> that's right. good. This is something serious, <laughs> yeah, right? This is not good. Well, and it's funny too because now my kids, it's the same thing. Yep. They're called Weave or they'll Weaver. Learn, they'll learn to love it. Yeah, it, it's crazy how that works. But with you, how many times have you been in a situation where you're confused for a boy? It, I can't tell Especially you the in your role right yeah, now. And emails NASCAR. and phone calls are the worst. You'll get, you know, the people that pick up and it's like, "Hi, I'm Alex. I'm just returning your phone call." And they're like, "You're Alex?" And it's like, <laughs> "Yes, actually, I am. I, that's a non-gender specific name." That's right. Um, but I'm a girl, Alex. So, yeah. I, I like it now. When I was younger and it was like, "Oh, you're Alex and you're a girl." It was like, "Man, this is not the nicest name. Thanks, mom." But now I really like that it's Did you have a tough neutral. time with that? A um bit? A little bit in the beginning, but I think it helped me being in sports and being in a different type of world and a male, it tends to be a male dominated world. It was, I always was kind of one of the boys, so I liked it anyways. But Were you a tomboy? Always, growing up. Um, you look at me now sometimes and I think people are always like, oh man, she can't throw a football or can't kick a <laughs> soccer ball or whatever, but I played soccer my whole entire life. I could throw a spiral football at the age of four or five. Um, it was just, oh, it just something. Came natural to just you. Just came natural. My dad, that uh, was one of his rules, is that whatever kid I have, she's going to throw a spiral football. He played football back in college. Um, so that was the backyard was my playground and mud and dirt. And my mom, I think, was a little worried. But <laughs> I, Do you have I siblings? Came, I don't. Only child. Only child. Um, it was just me and my mom basically growing up my whole entire life. And she is super into sports as well and was very okay with me exploring whatever I wanted to explore, whether it was playing with Barbie dolls or trucks in the backyard. It was, you just do whatever you want to do. And lucky for my mom and my dad, I went the, the sports route. the sports route, that's right. <laughs> yeah. It was probably yeah. uh, less expensive route. I, mm, well, I don't know. Nowadays, yeah, <laughs> sports can be very expensive. And the, I did cheerleading and dance as well. So everything that my poor parents had to buy for me is... You know, the $20 ribbons that go in your hair. And, oh, man, I look back and I'm like, I'm so sorry. So sorry. But <laughs> yeah, but it shaped you, though, it right? Did. It, did. it did. It did. So, do you remember life at all without having sports? I've thought about this a lot. Um, and people always ask me, like, if you weren't involved in NASCAR or sports, what would you be doing? My original goal when I was younger was I wanted to go into medicine. I loved kids, and I thought that pediatrics, whether it was surgery or whether it was being a pediatrician or anesthesiologist, whatever it may be, that I was going to work with kids in a medicine kind of format. Um, and that was my goal for a while growing up. I was really good at sciences, loved anatomy. Um, and I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I actually got to Clemson and sat in my first biology class and my first organic chem class. And it was like, no, we're going <laughs> to No, we're thank gonna you. Get, <laughs> I was like, if I'm falling asleep and can barely stand to read my own notes now, when I'm 40 years old and just basically entering my MD and whatever Is that was your my freshman practice. year? My freshman year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so tough enough, just it was. transitioning it was. your freshman year. Yeah, I, my senior year of high school, I did, we actually, um, at my high school, had a broadcasting program. Um, and they, I don't know what it was about my senior year, but it was, it just looked like the fun thing to do, run around with a microphone and interview. And there was always people that would come out to games and do post-game interviews with coaches and with the players on the team. I mean, just a really basic shoot with a phone or a camera or whatever you can get and hold like a stick mic. Um, and I had to be at every single game anyways because I cheered. So it was I'd just walk up to them and interview them afterwards, and then that would run 
you know, throughout the week on the morning announcements and afternoon announcements on the TV. So that was kind of how I got started. Um, and I went to Clemson, actually entered into the communications program. Uh, it was one of the most competitive programs there. And I remember being like, all right, we'll start in communications because it's really hard to get into originally. And then I'll have kind of the biology background. And then if I want to switch into some type of biology program or sciences program, I'll make the switch later on in my college career. But I'm going to take both of those classes to get a feel of what I like better. And needless to say, I went the communications Yes. Route. And when you mean competitive, des- describe that in terms of getting into the communications department. Yeah. So a lot of people... Like? Even now, they'll ask me, like, oh, what did you study in college broadcasting? And I'm like, no, I actually studied communications with, you know, I had a sports background. But Clemson doesn't have a broadcasting or a journalism program. So the only way that you can kind of venture into that world and get some sort of that background while you're there for four or five or six or however many years it takes you (laughs) um, is to major in communications. They now have a sports comm program, which I hear is incredible. But back in my day, I'm saying that at 26. Um, <laughs> back, way back, back in your back day, in right? Day, oh, um, they, ancient the times. Sports comm program wasn't available either. Uh, so communications was really the only route that you can go. And at the time, it was on the rise of Clemson football. Um, basketball had been up their game and with recruiting. The soccer team was taken off. So everybody, it was like, oh, man, we can go and take sports classes and athletic leadership and communication and broadcasting 201 and all these fun classes that everybody was seeing and it was the heyday of still is but college game day and samantha ponder and everybody was kind of seeing that so it was a really competitive program to get into at the time and still i mean it's even more competitive now yeah i can imagine even more so now because i mean it is definitely had a snowball effect Mm -hmm. what you're talking about just the popularity obviously when clemson's winning national championships national championships didn't hurt (laughs) that's right (laughs) when you first got the microphone though What did it feel like? It was bad. Um, (laughs) I look back at some of my earlier things, and I'm like, wow, that was so, who let me do that? Um, High school, we won't count because that was really just for fun. Um, But it wasn't until I got, my freshman year, I started working for Clemson football. Uh, My first ever boss was Coach Morris at the time. I was watching offensive film. I was just a recruiting assistant working football camps. Um, And it was Rick Bagby who came on at the time, um, and he was like, hey, we have a couple of these things for ESPN and for NFL Network. Would you be interested? We also can throw you on some YouTube videos. It was the really the beginning of the rise of what Clemson football social media is now. Um, Which is fantastic. Which is one of the best in the country, if you ask my opinion. Um, But they were like, would you be interested in just kind of talking? And I was like... Sure. So I just started doing all of these random videos for Clemson football and for other outlets, and they were horrible. I look back on them now, and they're so <laughs> yeah, bad. Yeah, have you gone back but, and looked? Oh, yeah. Every once in a while, I'll go back and watch one, or <laughs> I'll scroll through the social media feed, and I'm like, oh, why? Why would I? First of all, it's like, why are you wearing that? Why did you do your hair like that? You're talking, you know, you have that South Carolina twang, which I've still, NASCAR has blessed me that I get to keep it. Oh, but, that's right. Yes, you can, exactly. you can use that um, to But, you know, advantage. you hear that. South Carolina twang that comes out and it's like, oh God, it just sound like a little rug rat. This is just <laughs> terrible. Um, but it was a lot of fun. So. Well, anytime you hear your voice for the first time, and that's well, why even... Even started, now. Well, I, do, I go through that as well with the, with the podcast. And I started it in May of 2017 okay. and got over 120 episodes into it now. Wow. And I know I've improved, but I still will analyze it just <laughs> like you do yep. in terms of 
oh my goodness, you know, I've got to do this better. You know, yeah. I, I'm embarrassed by myself yeah. at times. But you just can't think about it. No, you can't. And I, I'll still go back and watch NASCAR. And we have, you know, a lot of the guys in our sport are Southern, and they have Southern names. And we have tracks that are in the South, and they have Southern traditions. And so you'll say these words. A bad, really bad one for me was in Bristol, Tennessee. Um, Bristol Motor Speedway is one of my favorite places in the world. Um, but they give out a sword for the winner. And every interview I did the weekend of Bristol, my sword was so <laughs> country. I was like, we can never say that word in an interview. Took you five seconds again. to say the word, right? <laughs> yeah, it was like sword. <laughs> but yeah, it was, that was an awakening for sure. Why is Bristol your favorite? Um, so I grew up in the Charlotte area. Uh, I love the city. I love going and visiting big cities. We also race in like Chicago, right outside of Chicago, right outside of LA. But Bristol kind of reminds me, and this is going to sound really corny, but I went to Clemson and it was a cow town. The people yes. that don't know it. Oh, it and is. it's out in the country. It's one of the reasons why I love Clemson. I love it. And there are, you know, if you take away the college, it's these hometown people and these elderly people and families and it just has this homey vibe, and I felt like Bristol was kind of the one for me that felt the most, you know, hotels didn't really matter, and it was, you're just out in the country, and you pass by the cows when you're going to the Speedway, and it's iconic because it's this huge, um, like, bowl or arena. Um, it's the only one that kind of gives you, like, the stadium atmosphere to me, so it's, you literally feel like, and I know Virginia Tech played there um, in Tennessee, what, two or three years ago? But it, you yes. feel like, even when like when you feel, and it's so loud with the race cars and with the sounds and everything, but you feel like you're in a football arena, but there just happens to be race cars going around the track. It's incredible. So people need to go to Bristol. Yeah, I still never that's been. That's on my list. Yeah, I'm, and I was much more into NASCAR years ago. I just yeah. haven't uh, in the past. Yeah. Uh, always been a big Jimmy Johnson fan. Me too. Yeah, but I go back to even early NASCAR days for me mm-hmm. back in the 80s. Yeah. You know, we're talking, obviously, I mean, Richard Petty and yeah. uh, Dale Jarrett and Bill Elliott, mm-hmm. Awesome Bill from Dawsonville. That's right. Know, all of that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, and I think that now it seems to be that NASCAR is just continuing to pick up more steam. We are. Believe it or not, in the last couple of years, I've really watched the sport take more of a light. And we've had, you know, partnerships like Barstool and We've gotten into some of the other platforms and had some partnerships with the NBA and the NFL and just done some special things. Um, This generation tends to look at it more as it's cool now again, which is really fun for us because it's always been cool for us. um, And we really like telling the stories. But now it's, you know, they're wearing the jackets and they have, you know, Ryan Blaney and Chase Elliott T-shirts on. And um, it's it's really cool when you go and you walk outside of the media center at a racetrack and you see a four-year-old who is the most passionate and, you know, it's Lightning McQueens are running around oh, everywhere right. and the Cars movie. This is like real life Cars. Um, but they just look at it with their eyes this big around. And it's, that's what makes it really special. And I think if people haven't experienced NASCAR live. Very different live. They'll, they'll understand why people gravitate towards yeah. watching it and yep. embracing it so much. Because it is amazing. It is. It's, to be there live. It's just People don't understand, first of all, when you're there and you have to write down on a piece of paper and pass it what you're trying to, like, it's so loud, so loud that you have to write it down, like, hey, you want to go get a drink and pass it to your neighbor <laughs> because you can't hear anything else other than the cars. That's, 
incredible in itself, but you also, you know, it's the balance of the cars and the tire pressure and everything. I mean, one mistake, their day is done. Um, it's just a lot. They lose 10 to 15 pounds every single time they get out of a racetrack. It's just incredible, like what people don't realize that these guys are actually athletes and how much, even the whole entire team, it's much more of a team sport than people think, but it's, it's nuts. I never knew. Now I can like change my oil. I can check it. I can't change it yet. But people, my friends will call me and be like, hey, my car's making this weird noise. And I'm like, that's great. I can't help you. <laughs> You're not a mechanic yet, right? I don't know anything about that, but I can tell you who won Bristol and 2013, you know, whatever that may be. But How often do you have to be in debates if people are not NASCAR enthusiasts or NASCAR fans when they say, oh, NASCAR is not a sport. These guys aren't athletes. Yeah, believe it or not, I get in more debates over Clemson football than I do <laughs> over NASCAR. Um, a lot of people kind of know where I stand on both topics. But NASCAR, as far as people just, it's either... And I wish that there were a little bit more casual fans, but there's always like the really avid fan of NASCAR or people have no idea anything about it. So what I've tried to, and my, my group of friends and my family, my mom watches every single race now. She knows everything about it. Uh, she's trying to find a way to come to Daytona with me because she just wants to be there for the Daytona 500. Um, so when, when you can turn one person, it's really fun to watch their journey of like, oh man, we watched that race on Sunday and, you know, we saw Dada win and that was really cool. And when they can start to become fans, it's like, told you, like, you just gotta, you just gotta give it one little, just you get do. into it a little bit. I, I would agree. And that's what life has just been, you know, busy for us. Mm -hmm. And uh, my son was into it earlier on uh, several years ago, but yeah. just kind of transitioned out. But I do enjoy it. We need it. to get y'all to a race. I know. I would love it. <laughs> we I would will. love it because well. I've been to Charlotte Speedway yep. and I've been to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. That's the only two places I've been. Yeah, we'll get you. You need to go to Bristol. Bristol's. I would enjoy Char that. So Charlotte has the Roval now, which is like the road course and the oval. It's love the Coca-Cola 600, love the all-star race, but the Roval has just been really interesting for fans. Um, it's been a sellout crowd for the past two seasons that we've had it, but it's it's really fun because it's just a different, they're also racing like the track that goes around, but they're going in and weaving into the road course and it's completely different. So that's a fun one. We'll get you to. Oh, well, I would appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would take you up on that. Hey, anytime. <laughs> uh, for you then though, were you a fan of NASCAR growing up? Um, no, I, I was did you casual. have much exposure to it? Uh, my grandfather was a diehard NASCAR fan, diehard Bill Elliott. Bill Elliott, like, hung the moon for him. Mm. Um, he, I mean, it didn't matter. He could have, like, killed a guy. And my <laughs> grandfather would be like, I mean, he probably had a good reason. Uh, but he loved Bill Elliott and loved watching the NASCAR races. So Sundays were kind of, you know, he wasn't going to go anywhere else, but you could come to his house and stay with him and hang out with him and watch the NASCAR races. So I knew enough to where I could talk to him and watch and not be like, oh my God, this is so boring. Um, but I, you know, I liked Jimmy and I liked Bill and you know, you watch the King and you sit around and you know enough. Um, and then growing up around the Charlotte area, it's everywhere here. So I knew enough to where I could talk it, just not be an expert on it. Um, but that has changed in the last couple of years. Yes, now it I has, obviously. Eat sleep, and, eat, sleep, and breathe racing. <laughs> You're immersed in it now. <laughs> All the time, yeah. So going back to your playing days, mm -hmm. though, growing up, loving soccer. Yep. So from that perspective, why did you love soccer so much? I think it was when I was younger, 
sports for me kind of gave me a family. Um, I was an only child, so like imaginary friends and my mom and dad were my playmates. And that was, <laughs> my grandfather was really good at playing with me too. Uh, he, you know, would set up just, it didn't matter if it was like a rock, just throw it to me and we'll play catch. Or just something that gave us something, like me not having to sit there and play by myself. Um, so sports for me, and I remember probably my first soccer team was just, a, I mean, we were like, little munchkins running around on the field. There were still kids that were like picking flowers instead of, you know, actually playing. But we were just running around. And I just remember it being like, man, all these people that I have to play with, this is so fun. Um, but it started out as just, I didn't even think I was really going to like it. And then I started loving it. And then I realized how sports and being in a team or in an organization can really feel, you spend more time with them sometimes than you do your own family. You're on the road with them traveling. I did like AAU essentially what the equivalent is with soccer. And I mean, we were in the car for four, five, six hours sometimes with me and three teammates in the back seat watching movies and eating candy. And it was like, man, this is what a family has to feel like. So it's like it, creating it a bond just became, became my family. For me as well, sports growing up, you know, I, dysfunctional family, because I never knew my biological father. And yeah. that's why my, my name uh, was changed to Weaver uh, when I was seven years yeah. old. And my stepdad and mom were alcoholics, so sports was that place for me. Outlet. Yeah, that yeah. outlet, that escape. Yep. And to your point, that's where I found family as well. And I'm not trying to be melodramatic and no, say my, yeah, no, I, my childhood was so terrible, yeah. but there was definitely some voids there, and sports filled that. Yeah, uh, I get and that's that. what that's what I think is so amazing what sports can do. And I haven't even thought of it from a perspective of an only child. Mm -hmm. That's where you do find team. Well, it was also. You can't sit here and have a conversation with somebody about politics without it rallying some bad mojo in the room, or you can't talk about religion, or you can't, but there's always a common ground that tends to bring people together in a positive light when you talk to them about their favorite sporting event, or their favorite team, or it's just this, and I remember Clemson, I grew up a Clemson fan, and my mom I was went to Clemson. you when you fell in love oh, with it Clemson. Was, it was birth is when I <laughs> fell in love. Um, I came out, I'm pretty sure I had on like a Clemson like whoopee with like a tiger paw <laughs> with the hat that comes on. Yeah. Um, grandfather was a diehard Clemson fan. My mom went there, um, but it was at birth, but you didn't really understand it until you got immersed in the Clemson world. And I remember like my first football games there and I was young, but it was just everybody was high-fiving and you score a touchdown and you hug a stranger and you go to national championships and people are walking around handing you tailgate food and they don't even know you and it's like this is the only thing in the whole entire world I feel like that people can get away with if you have on orange and I have on orange we're related we're best friends <laughs> exactly it's so true it I, I do feel that at certain times it's the ultimate connector. Mm -hmm. It is. Because people do put away whatever differences they yep. might have yep. just for at least for a few hours. Yeah, exactly. And when you go, when you leave Death Valley, you, <laughs> it might change. But That's when right. you're in there, <laughs> you're family. It's completely different. So was it a foregone conclusion? You're going to Clemson? Yes. That was it? Um, so my dad worked for the football program after he was, uh, he played quarterback at ECU. Uh, out of Greenville, North Carolina. So I was there for a while, and he still lives in Greenville. Um, so when I was younger, I grew up going to just as many ECU games as I did to Clemson. But it was just something about Clemson that felt different for me. Um, he also then worked for Auburn. Uh, so my three schools that I applied to were Chapel Hill, just because North Carolina and UNC. Oh, it's Chapel Hill. Yes, exactly. I get it. Um, my whole family 
there's about four of us that bleed orange and then the rest of us bleed Carolina blue. Okay. Uh, so that was kind of like, let me just see if I can do it. Um, and then Auburn and Clemson. So the Chapel Hill acceptance letter came first and it was like, all right, cool. And then the Auburn one came second and the Clemson one came last. But when the Clemson one came, it was where do we send the check? So, so you were excited when oh, you got was, that one. It was, I mean, mom and I crying <laughs> at the mailbox. It was, it was a done deal. I knew if that was, the, that was the golden ticket we were going. Well, obviously you were very academically astute to be able to get into all Thanks of those schools. <laughs> I couldn't get into Clemson now. That's no, my problem. It is, I don't know if I could get into Clemson now. It has become, and I think, again, we have sports to help us with this too, because there are kids in California that know who Clemson and that Paul is, but it is the academics there and the programs and the classes that students are talking about taking now. It's like, oh man, that was not that was not back then when we no, did that. No, not even so. close. And it's changed I, completely. I hope, it keeps, I hope it keeps growing. I'm all for yeah. it. Well, and I, I think it will just because of the popularity and just the stuff that they're doing on campus is yeah. amazing. And uh, so it's you com- walk around. I went back for the Texas A&M game this past season, and you just ride through campus, and you're like. That building was not, not there. there. That building was not there. <laughs> that road was not there. So it doesn't even look like the same place anymore. So how did you get involved then in terms of working with the football program, other than I know through communications, but what was that process like? A weird process. Uh, so my mom cheered at Clemson. Um, she had, he was actually the assistant sports information director, Tim Beret. Oh, I know Tim very well. <laughs> yeah, yes. I think everybody knows Tim. Um, but he and my mom just knew each other through working cheerleading and him being the assistant and they, you know, kind of had this friendship bond there and she hadn't talked to him in years. Um, and so I just happened to reach out when I found out that I got into Clemson and I was like, you may not know me, but my mom is Christy Parker, now Christy Weaver. And I was like, she, you know, spoke highly of you and she was in college and now I'm coming to Clemson and I would really love any opportunities that you may have. And it was my first week on campus. He told me to come in and let's have a chat. And he kind of just got my background. And two weeks later, I was walking into the football office. So, no, I really, I walked in and I was like, you kind of do like the, wow, this is so (laughs) cool that I'm here. Um, And then it becomes like a second home. I think I, don't tell my mom, but I think I was there more than I was in class. Oh, I bet you probably were. (laughs) Because I I know you were working a lot. They don't mind working some of the student interns Whenever you want to come, hang out at practice and do whatever. And I was like, oh, that is my ticket out of class. (laughs) That's right. That's a a good thing. You mentioned watching film. Mm -hmm. So give me the scoop. You were actually watching film, Mm -hmm. uh, helping out with, as a, recruiting analyst or whatever yeah. you were doing? So it kind of started when we would work camps, uh, when high schoolers would come into Clemson at the time and they would have a weekend long camp. Um, I remember seeing Deshaun came to camp. I remember seeing Trevor Lawrence come to camp. Um, Gage Cervenka was at camp and Cleland Furl. And you just have all these guys that you see that are at the time to you, they're like, oh, little high school babies. And then you get to follow them. So the way that I got to do that and the way that I got to keep a close bond was either working with offensive coordinator Chad Morris at the time, or I worked with Coach Venables a lot. Um, But you would just kind of sit with them and just look at these guys, or you would go to camp and you would kind of be in charge of the offensive unit or the defensive unit. And you would be able to see these players and you would know their highlight reel, you know, the huddle.com link that they send out. Um, So you, that was the way that you could kind of like, if you had this relationship and you kind of created this bond with a recruit, you just kind of followed them and their growth throughout high school and then to college. Um, 
So I would just watch highlights. I, Cleland is like my little brother because I have watched that kid, God bless him, <laughs> since about 10th grade. Um, I can tell him his best plays and what side he jumps off of faster. And But it was it was just a nice way to kind of know these players and work with them. And you, you know, you could help their development and help coach by watching at camps and through recruiting and sending out letters and there were a time where only you know us and the assistants could recruit and talk to these guys during the recruiting process and there were other times where the coaches could come in so you kind of had to be the liaison between Clemson and the recruits so I would just sit there for hours and watch film and, and watch stalk, a lot of film stalk all these high schoolers <laughs> <laughs> could you tell immediately some guys yeah that's going to be a star yeah uh Trevor was a big one for us I just remember him walking into camp um he was a sophomore, a junior at the time in high school, and you know he still had the flow. We still had the Trevor Lawrence flow, uh, and he just walks up and like throws a couple balls out in the back, and it's like, that's yeah, different. That kid is gonna be something, and luckily he was a Clemson something. That's <laughs> so, right. But yeah, he you can just it's that it's that factor that they have, and you can always tell who's gonna fit Clemson. And I tell people this all the time, and they don't believe me unless they're a Clemson fan. But it's a different program. It's just Coach Sweeney has different life goals and different expectations and different values I feel like than some other programs in the country um, and you can just tell when a guy had that fit that he was going to fit really well in a club so explain that a little bit more because I believe it yeah but a lot, a of, lot people of people don't understand it a lot of people don't get it uh, a lot of my life lessons believe it or not either came from my mother or for coach Sweeney it was just <laughs> you know you have the bloom where you're planted and if you do the uncommon things in a common way, or the common things in an uncommon way, you command the attention of the world. Uh, it's just all these sayings that he used to say. Stick. You don't. At the time, you're listening. And you're like, "All right, coach. This is." We've you know, heard this enough. Yeah, we've just sat through a two-hour practice. Like, let us go home. I have homework. Um, but now, as I've gotten older, it's like, man, Coach Sweeney used to tell us that. Uh, but it's, it's just this. He expects you not only to be a great, at, for me, you know, student worker or for the guys on the team, a great football player, but you have to be a great person. Like, he wants you to go to class and wake up and take care of your responsibilities and know your family and take care of your family and take care of your relationships and foster those. But at the same time, you know, you show up and you committed to a team, so you're going to follow through with that commitment as well. Um, it was probably the program that I learned the most about myself just because you really start to become a different you can feel yourself like transforming into a different kind of human just by being around that program a good human what did you learn about yourself um I learned how to treat people I learned like what I needed to bring to the table to where I was going to have a healthy relationship you know whether it be with God or whether it be with you know my parents or whether it be with friends or relationships whatever it may be um I also were, learned that, and it's helped me a lot now with my job, that you're not going to get anywhere unless you bust your butt. Like, it's just not going to happen. you got to put so, in the time. Exactly. Um, you know, you can show up and do what's expected of you and, you know, the two-hour practice and check that box, but you can also stay after practice and throw those extra balls around and, you know, the indoor facility, and you're going to be better than the guy who just spent two hours at practice. So for me, and in my sense of work now, you know, it's, not just writing down the names of the drivers, it's writing down their stats and how they perform at certain tracks. And you spend hours and hours and hours of doing your homework. Um, it pays off a lot more than just the people that know their names. What does your prep look like right now for um, your job? So we have Daytona coming up. Um, the off season is 
a lovely time for us. It's about five weeks of nothing. <laughs> I have everybody. So you can really decompress. I mean, I, I try to stay off social. Clemson doesn't help that. And the fact that it's national championship season when we're in the off season. Uh, so that's really the only thing that I kind of follow. I'll keep up with the news and storylines that's going on in NASCAR. But I try to stay in the football world during the off season just because it's a nice break and refresh from NASCAR. Um, NASCAR is the longest season in professional sports. So it is 283 days, and that's not including all of the before and after the season. Um, so it is a nice five-week period of don't talk to me, don't look at me, feed me, and just <laughs> let me sit on this couch. Um, but now, you know, we come back in the start of the new year, and it's we're blessed and we're also a little weary of the fact that our biggest event of the year and our Super Bowl is the first race that we have in the season. That's right. Um, so it is like you are hard charging the second that you get back in the door after Christmas break and New Year. Um, so we now are just making sure some drivers made some switches during the off season, different teams, different crew chiefs. Um, they may have some different organizations or sponsors going on in their world. So you have to keep up with that. Um, kind of learn their stats you look at past Daytona and who you know runs well there and who has a higher chance at the 500 we pick up new shows um, I filmed the first time last week and then had an interview with a driver yesterday and it was you know you just dust off the get right back dust at it off, <laughs> dust off the storm that you had yeah so it's you just kind of pick up right where you left off which is really nice but also a little terrifying <laughs> when you have about 30 days of preparation so how was it though when you first started the role and again and i'm saying it from a perspective of obviously your youth but also as a female yeah. and a male dominated yep. obviously sport so when i started in nascar i was 23 24 at the time um and you know in in my head it's like oh my gosh i'm so old but you look around and you know you see 70 year olds still in the garage and you're like wow i have a long way to go and people that have been in the sport i have a really good friend of mine who works for fox sports she's been in the sport for 11 years and it's like 11 years ago i think i was in middle school <laughs> like high school whatever that may be um but you really have to pick up quickly what helped me was that I immediately wanted to start getting immersed and going to, to races. And I wanted to travel and be around because when you're around the people, it's kind of like being in a foreign country when you speak another language. If I go you know, to Brazil and everybody is speaking their fluent language, I'm going to pick up faster than if I'm trying to learn it, Portuguese and Spanish or whatever, here. Um, so I... Or just immerse myself in that. I started stalking, social media stalking, everybody that I could stalk um, and learning how, you know, the lingo, how they talk about it, what they're showcasing, what they're liking on Twitter. It sounds really creepy, but um, what they're kind of posting. And then NASCAR also has a lot of, this was, I always tell this story when I started, they have a lot of abbreviations. So like Stuart Haas Racing is not Stuart Haas Racing, it's SHR. And Joe Gibbs Racing is not Joe Gibbs Racing, it's JGR. And HMS is Hendrick Motorsports. And so you're sitting in meetings, and I mean, it's week one, two for me. And they're like, yeah, and we'll just put them with SHR people, and they can go to JGR people, and then we'll have, you know, we'll head over to HMS. And I'm like, what, spinning. what is any of this? Um, that was on the lingo was the hardest part about it, because I'm used to talking about running routes and, you know, coming off the line of scrimmage, and now I'm talking about, air pressure and tires and the balance on the car. So that was that was the biggest 
switch over for me just coming from a football, more of a football kind of baseball background and now talking about cars. Um, but in relations to like sports and how things operate and the inside business of things, it's pretty much the same. Yeah, because again, what a lot of people don't really understand what you mentioned is that there's still, it's a team oh, that 100%. has to work yeah. together. Yeah. So, I mean, you could easily correlate, you know, mm-hmm. obviously a football team versus a NASCAR and racing team. Most of the guys on the pit crews are past football players, past baseball players, past wrestlers. Um, they are all pretty much division one or two athletes in college. And I don't know how they do it. I've tried. I went into the pit crew challenge with Kyle Bush's pit crew team uh, two seasons ago. And I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't jack the car up. It was like, <laughs> this is so hard. Changing the tire was impossible. Um, I was like, yeah, y'all are. Or a it's a little breed. different level. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you have any situations where you were viewed in a different way because you are a female? Yeah. Um, I get, I have no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to racing a car. Never been in a car. Um, you know, I, she probably can't even drive down the freeway. And you get all of those things all the time. And it's also... It's been a hurting factor for me, but I also try to turn it in a positive light because it's made me work a lot harder. Um, so it's, it's showed me not only that I have, you know, it's amazing to me that some people in sports consider being a female almost like a disability. Like you're, you come in with this, you're already backtracking, you're already the B squad because you're a female. But in reality, I'm probably working harder than you sometimes because I am viewed in that way and I do have to know my stuff before I get up. Like people don't expect me to know what I'm talking about and don't you know, expect females to be able to sit down and have a conversation about racing and then we open our mouth and we can talk it just as well as some of the guys and it's like, oh, okay, wow, she's kind of knows her stuff. So earning the respect, I think, and just showing people that you can, you know, and, I don't know everything about it. I don't know the ins and outs. I've never raced a car in my life. Um, I've been inside one and almost thrown up every single time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a different experience as well. I don't know how the guys do it. When you're going three Gs around a turn, it's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to throw up. Um, But no, you just kind of... But that is definitely a challenge. It It is. It has to be. It's different. And I mean, it's not just NASCAR either. It's all Mm male-dominated sports. And you are just... You have that disability as people want to call it even though it's not I mean it's it's we're equal playing field I've always felt like but at the same time you know you're viewed as you're not um but I I like that I like that I come in as the the underdog I do I like that I have why is that I think it's just allowed me to work harder and understand that if I do work harder there's a bigger reward um I like being it's just how I've always felt comfortable. I mean, I grew up walking around baseball fields that were, you know, all boys. And I was the bat girl for my stepbrother's baseball team when he was younger. And when I was four or five, I was running out and getting the bats. I mean, you're in a dugout full of guys. And you, I, I didn't know I was a girl. I mean, I did. <laughs> but, you know, you just look around and think, man, this is cool. I'm one of the guys. And football teams, it's a locker room full of football boys. And you're like man, I'm one of the bros. Like, this is so fun. And you, you don't even realize that you're different until somebody points it out and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not, not one of the guys. But I've never really felt like females are ever different. I don't know if it's because I'm a female, but um, I liked the fact that people, this is going to sound really bad, but when, when males walk into a room and it's a male-dominated room, 
you're not going to be like, oh man, look at the look at the guy walking in the room right now. But when a female walks in and it's a room full of 20 guys, it's like, oh wow, what's she doing here? Kind of thing. So you have to you have to show people that you deserve to be in the room, but it's also been a benefit because there's not a whole lot of me in the room anyways. So a lot of pressure, but oh, I imagine it is. Yeah. And do you get motivation from proving people wrong or proving people <laughs> right that um, say believed in you? I get motivation. My friends and my mom and my family members, those are always fun to prove right. You know, they sit there and they tell you your whole life, you can do it and whatever you put your mind to and just follow your dreams. And so that's always fun to be like, man, I'm actually, this is really cool. Um, my grandfather passed away when I was in middle school, but he was a huge Bill Elliott fan. One of the first ever interviews I did was with Bill Elliott. Oh, that had to be special. Um, so cool. It was at Atlanta Motor Speedway, and I just remember being in the room and looking around and being like, my grandfather up there is ecstatic. So that was ear to a, really, ear smile. Yeah, a really cool moment. Um, but it's also like proving people wrong. And I'll share a story, too. You get the looks of when you start talking about, we have this, this substance that's a compound that they put on the track that makes it stickier in some areas so that the tires can have a better grip. It's called PJ1, um, sticky stuff, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I, I asked a driver one time, I'll keep him nameless, uh, I asked a driver about what areas of the track they were putting down the PJ1 compound and how was that going to affect the race and the weather. And he asked me if I knew what PJ1 was. And I remember being like, yeah, I actually, <laughs> I actually did my homework. <laughs> do you know what PJ1 is? That's what you have to fire back. But it was like, yeah, I do. And he's like, I'm just, and I don't think he meant it rude, but it was just like, do you know, like, do I need to, he was, it was almost like mansplaining, they sometimes call it. Um, but that's, that's always fun when you get to have those moments like, yeah, I actually, I actually do know what that is. Answer my question. Yes, exactly. Um, you can say, I have yeah. been around the block at yeah. least enough, I understand. That's have why I'm I, asking you this question. Have I physically driven on it? No, I have not, but do I know what it is? Yes. So well, and it's interesting fun. because that's the same thing that happens, I think, and I'm not trying to make no, the analogies yeah, no. the, the way they are, but to that point where just because you haven't fully experienced something doesn't mean mm -hmm. you don't have some type of understanding. Right. And the way I look at it is the same way there's several very successful NBA coaches. Mm -hmm. They never played never college played. basketball, right. you know, and obviously never played in the pros yep. and they've been very successful. Yeah. So it, it, just because you haven't experienced on their level doesn't yep. mean you can't have some type of understanding. And I've always been one that has always felt that, well, if I don't, why don't you help me? Mm -hmm. You know, rather than put me down, yeah, exactly. why don't why, you yeah, help me? You tell me, yeah. And, you know, so have there been any mentors that have tried to help you in not obviously just learning NASCAR, but yeah. just sports journalism and broadcasting and sports reporting? Yeah. So probably the one in college, other than I had Rick Bagby, who was helping me along the whole entire time. And he was such a great resource as well as Tim Beret to just go and be like, I need facts for pro day. I need you to give me something. Just tell me. Um, but I... Um, interned with ESPN. Um, I was a student intern for three years of my four at Clemson, um, and I had um, an executive producer there, and then I also got to work a couple times when she would come to game day with Samantha Ponder. Uh, so it, I would always try, and while she was, you know, sitting there with her makeup or sitting there 
you know, just going running through notes. I was like, will you just sit here and talk to me about what it takes and what I need to be doing? Um, so it, it, I had a lot of mentors, I feel like, because whenever you get the opportunity to get a female around that's in the world that you want to do, you just, even if it's for 20 minutes and they can just sit down and tell you something that you, that you need to know or that can help you and help further your career, that's always a big one. So I talked to a lot of them. Um, and then as far as the NASCAR side, Caitlin Bency, who I was mentioning earlier, is my um, one of my really best friends. We've become very close over the last couple of years, but she works for Fox Sports. Been in the sport for 11 years. So when I came into NASCAR, I didn't really have a female around me necessarily in the NASCAR.com and the digital platforms for me. Um, so I had to kind of look on the, on the whole sport as a whole. Um, and she was a really good one for me just because she – Grew up in the sport, but she works for a network, so she's not necessarily around the teams constantly, but she still has that connection with them. Um, she's married to a crew member, um, the car chief for Martin Truex Jr. So she was able to teach me, you know, if I had a question, I would call her and be like, I don't know what this means, can you explain? Or, you know, if I go to a track and I'm interviewing this driver, what's his personality like? Uh, just simple things like that. So she's been in the NASCAR world a really great help for me, which I feel like people can say that you don't need help and that you can do it all by yourself, but you can't. You can't. You, you need help. No, you definitely need help. And that's throughout all of life. Yes, yeah, always. So I can t <laughs> attest to that as uh, yeah, well. Uh, no. uh, that is definitely one aspect that, and I don't think enough people really understand the importance of being intentional mm -hmm. in terms of seeking out help, yeah. seeking out advice, seeking out wisdom, because you do get this mentality that, oh, I'm Superman, I can right. take on the world. And I think what was different for me is I always viewed asking for help as a weakness. So it was, you know, if I have to ask for help, that means I couldn't do it by myself. Um, and I, I've now, as I've gotten older, realized that asking for help means sometimes like, I can't, I don't have time to do it all by myself, or I don't know enough and I need more knowledge before I can speak on that topic. Not, it's not, you can't do it. It's just help me get there to where That's I right. can That's right. Just give it. me a little nudge. A little, a little push. When did you come to that realization? College, probably. Maybe not even college. Maybe right after college. Um, it, it took me a while. I know pretty much throughout college, it was never asking for help. It was, you know, you got to show up and do this and then go to class and then also do your homework and then call mom and make sure and check in with mom for the day and then have <laughs> friends and go to sorority functions. And um, it wasn't until probably my later college years, maybe even so after college that it was like, yeah, I need, I need a little help sometimes. Why NASCAR versus your love for college football mm -hmm. to try to do something in College football. I'm really glad that I did it now. It took me out of my comfort zone. Um, so looking back on it now, I'm really glad that I had a challenge. And it is, it has definitely helped fuel my career and my love for sports because it's a different sports avenue that I didn't know that I could learn and could know. Um, when I first... I thought that Clemson football was like the end-all be-all. This is the greatest <laughs> job in the world. There's going to be nothing that I love more than Clemson football. And it's, it's kind of amazed me how much now I'm in love with NASCAR. Um, I eat, sleep, and breathe it. It's, I wish that I could turn it off, but it is in my brain and in my heart forever. Like, I can't turn it off no matter how hard I try. Um, 
but I, I, I thought that football and baseball was for sure going to be the avenue, and NASCAR actually reached out um, to a couple of us that got hired at the same time, but they reached out via email on LinkedIn, and they were just like, you know, one of our bosses now was like, we have this position open, are you interested, would love to have you guys come and interview, and we actually all interviewed, there's three of us, um, one works for the Atlanta Falcons now, so she got back into football, and then two of us are still here. Um, and but you all knew each other? No. Oh, you no, didn't know each no, other so at the time. In, we came in on the same day to interview and just happened to like run into each other. And we were sitting there in the lobby before our interviews just talking. And it was, oh, yeah, they reached out to me on LinkedIn. Oh, they reached out to me on LinkedIn. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, wait, I really wasn't that special <laughs> if you're doing it for everybody else. Um, but they just reached out and they were like, come and interview. And I, obviously, it was easy with my mom being here. I just came and stayed with her for a few days. And went through the interview process, a um, handful of interviews, three or four, I think. Uh, and then they were like, hey, we'd love to offer you this job. And at the time, I was unsure of Raycom was kind of being bought out by the ACC network as well. And there were some other sports um, that were kind of dwindling down. Raycom Media wasn't as big as a conglomerate as it used to be. Uh, so it was a lot of people were really worried about their jobs and coming home and being around my family and around my mom and taking on the challenge in NASCAR. Also, my grandfather was up in heaven, like dying laughing, being like, ha you thought that this was <laughs> never going to be a thing and now you're going to work for him. Um, so just something pulled me to the sport, whether it was him or whatever it may have been, but I got pulled and I'm stuck now. Oh, God brought you down this he pathway, he right? He, him and my grandfather are probably yeah. just chuckling right along. Has but. faith been a big part of your life? It has, yeah. Uh, it's been a lot more so... When I've gone, and this, I know you're not supposed to tell people this or tell God this, but it's when you go through hard times, it's kind of what you lean on. Yes. Um, I hate to say that I like use and abuse him because I don't. He's in my life constantly, but you don't really seem to find him as much and to want to, you know, have conversations with him or talk to him until there's something that is trying in your life or something that you need help on. Or um, so just being on the road by myself, you know, I talk to him a lot. I mean, we will. I tell people this all the time, and it's weird. And he and my grandfather, who I was super close to, I keep bringing up, but I'll just walk around the racetrack sometimes, and in my head I'm having conversations with both of them, like, man, isn't this so cool? Like, I'm going to take you right along with me. And uh, just knowing that I have that relationship of somebody, you know, not just God and Jesus, but also my grandfather that I can just talk to whenever I want and know that I have, you know, some sort of guardian angels looking after me is really nice feeling. Oh, it's special. Mm -hmm. right? It is. I know. And I, I didn't come into my relationship with Christ until I was like 37 years old, yeah. a true relationship. Yeah. And, and I've had some difficult things have to go through yep. and I don't know how I would have been able to go through it yeah. without having yeah. that foundation. And some sort of faith or something to hold on to. I feel yes, like it helps. It, exactly. And, and it's, it's meant a lot to me. And so I, and I know some people do like to share a little mm -hmm. bit more than others. So I appreciate you, yeah, you know, being able to share yeah. that. So you talked about some things you learned from Dabo Sweeney yeah. in terms of, you know, just, <laughs> you know, the different sayings, like control yes. the input, yeah. all of those, well, you know, plant where you're input. bloomed and, yeah. you know, all of that. Because I'm big on words of wisdom. So yes. that's why I love all the Daboisms and just any type <laughs> of mottos and quotes. They've always been big in my life. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other ones that 
have meant a lot to you that you fall back on? Yeah, so I always come back to a scripture in Matthew as well that do not worry about for tomorrow. Do not worry about tomorrow for today is all we have. Um, so I, I'm a big in the moment person. My mom hates that because she just calls me a procrastinator. But it's re- <laughs> I really just like to be in the moment, mom. Um, but I'm really big on that. I've tried to be better about not focusing so much on what is coming versus what is here. I feel like if you're always worried about, you know, I've got to do this and i got to do this and i got to check on this, you kind of tend to not enjoy the moment that you're in. Um, and I've had, I take time a lot when I'm on the road and I just look around and I'm like, I'm in, you know, L.A. covering a NASCAR race. Like, this is pretty cool. Um, and you just kind of have those moments where you just need to take it all in. So that's a big one. Um, and then I also... Just being in journalism and sports media has been, um, you don't need to dim somebody else's light bulb for yours to shine is a good one for me. So I'm very big on there is no person that I need to put down or belittle to make myself feel any better. Uh, So I am all for if you're succeeding, we're succeeding, Um, especially with NASCAR. People don't realize that it's, and I think that's what helped me transition as well because I went from the Clemson football family that's this itty-bitty little family to NASCAR, which seems like a big family, but it's really not. It's this itty-bitty little traveling circus um, that we're all super close and we're all with each other 300 days of the year. Um, so you learn these people like your family, but you also can tend to argue and disagree with these people like your family because you're around them so much. That happens. Yeah, exactly. But there is nobody that I need to, you're not wrong, but your opinion differs than mine, or we may view this in a different light, but I still value what you bring to the table and your drive and your work ethic. Um, I've just never been big on putting other people down to get where I feel like I need to go. So they can... You know, my journey's your journey, and their journey's my journey, yeah, and we're, we're all, all connected here. We're all going along exactly. for the ride. Exactly. Let's so. you know all. Uh, what is the saying? All uh, boats rise with the exactly. tide, or whatever. Exactly. You know, so it's the same type of mentality. Now, going back to your quote, the Matthew mm-hmm. verse, though, are you able to do that in terms of your career? Not no. looking. <laughs> I wish that I could. I have. In, in there the, are days where I have. Future. I have better days, um, but it's constantly, and it's so weird. You know, you can go to med school and you can go and be a teacher and you can work in a hospital or in, you know, a school until you're 60, 70 years old. You know, whenever that retirement age is for you and that career is pretty much the path that you're going to take. Whereas ours, you know, it's living by contracts. It's living by, you know, if there's somebody that's younger, that's better than you or knows the sport better than you or has a better reel than you or it's there's constantly this turnover factor that you feel like is these, you know, the new Thunderbird models are replacing the old Thunderbird models. Um, And so it's, you have this pressure of feeling like you have to like keep up. So not only I'll give social media examples, but you know, you have to keep up with your Twitter and you have to keep up with your Instagram, but now you have TikTok that we have to be a part of. So know the TikTok trends and know, you know, everything that's going on with all these social media outlets and the 10 year olds that are on TikTok and how in the world do I relate to a 10 year old? (laughs) Um, but you just, you ha- you really have to, you know, we're getting a new, a next-gen car that's coming out. And, I mean, there is constantly change and turnover, I feel like. So it's not easy to sit here and say that I don't worry about what next year may bring or the next five years for my life. But I've also learned that if I spend 24 hours a day worrying about tomorrow, I'm going to miss 
an hour of my day that was really special. So I at right. least I at least try to take time to be like, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, working for NASCAR, and I get to talk about race cars for a living. This is pretty darn cool. It's a pretty so, cool job. It is. It's really I would cool. think so too. Now, is your mom right? Are you a procrastinator? Yeah, I am. <laughs> it's, really, it's really bad. She she tends to say that she's not, but she is too. So I really came by it honest. Um, but it's, it's I don't know if it's because I like the drama of seeing that I can do it. Like you know, and it was really bad in school. Uh, you have a paper due on Monday, and you're going to write it Sunday night. By dang it, it's going to be written. Um, Whereas if I would have written it Thursday the I week know. before, I could have done everything all weekend long and not had to worry Sunday about my paper. But no, that was not me. I so. fall into the same trap. It's I do really the same bad. thing. <laughs> and then my daughter is one of the kings or queens of procrastinating. Yeah. She's about to be 16. And so it's hard for me to say anything Tell her to college her. college is coming. <laughs> God, I'm like, college yeah, is but coming. that was me. I yeah, was the guy that would procrastinate. Me too. Me too. You know, so, well, you didn't procrastinate with me having the opportunity of oh, having you on the easy. podcast. So thank you so thank much. You. Thank I you. I greatly for appreciate it, Alex. Fun. Regardless of what we face in life, we all need help. And as Alex has discovered through the years, that just because you ask for help, it isn't a sign of weakness, but more an opportunity to be lifted up by others. And as you share by also helping others, you never know how much brighter your own light might shine when you help shine somebody else's light. Now that finishes episode 128, and more of our conversations can be found on any of your preferred podcasting platforms. And you can also watch some of our episodes by visiting our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel, where you can easily subscribe. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening. 